I sat in jazz band at the time, totally unappreciative of all that I was learning, and I just stared at the piece of music my band instructor had just handed out. I was in shock of the title. Now, in jazz band, I went back and forth between first chair and second chair tenor saxophone. One of the reasons being I couldn't solo worth a lick. And, and I couldn't solo worth a lick because I didn't practice my scales enough. And if you don't practice enough, if you don't know your scales enough, now I think about it, I suppose I was just a lazy high schooler doing the easy stuff, not willing to do the hard work to be better. But I did enjoy jazz band. You know, I was also that high schooler with a loud mouth. Not always the best thing in a Christian school. So when the piece of music landed on my music stand, I promptly said, Satan doll. We're playing a song called Satan doll. <laughs> and with an appropriate amount of teacher attitude, which there is an appropriate amount, Mr. Vossler also a saxophone player, quickly educated me that the word was not Satan, but satin. <laughs> he also said that as I learned about jazz, a language forged in America, he felt that I needed to understand some of the jazz standards of the best. One thing Satin Doll did for me was introduce a couple things. One of those was a, a 2 5 1 chord progression. 2 5 1. The idea with a 2 5 1 chord progression is that within your key, you play the second, fifth, and first in your scale. So, for example, in the key of C, the scale is C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. Shout it out now. I want you to do the work. Don't be high school, Nick. What is the second in the scale? That's good. That's right. Now, I think everyone can get this next one. What's the fifth in the scale? It's a G. And what's, what, what's the first? Very good. Now, jazz frequently voices itself in minors and sevenths. So... In this case, with, a, with, with these notes, I would play a D minor 7, and then I'd play a G7, and then like, you just bring it all home with C. There you go. Super simple. Now, this is super common in jazz, but you'll find it in more than just jazz. Have you ever heard this one? All right, here we go. That may be all I need. In darkness, she is all I see. Come and rest your bones with me. Driving slow on Sunday morning, and I never want to leave. Now, that's, that's, that's maroon. No, no. All right, give it to me, all right. Uh, no, no, it's, it's going to get worse later. So um, that, that is really simple. That's, that's Maroon 5. It's pop rock. That was an incredibly popular song years ago, and it was using amazing minor sevenths to sound totally unique. But really, it's a standard jazz groove. They made a lot of money off of that song. 
So that's what Satin Doll did. Satin Doll gave us the example of a 2-5-1 chord progression. Now, bigger than just the progression in jazz, we have the person behind the music. That would be Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington, he was a gift to music. He was an amazing composer, amazing band leader, amazing pianist, and he gave the world some songs. Take the A train. He gave us, a, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. And he also gave a satin doll. Something else I learned later in life, he had, a, he had a series of concerts called Sacred Concerts. Sacred Concerts. And in one of those Sacred Concerts, he directly invokes our text for today with a, piece, with a piece he wrote called Praise God and Dance. Praise God and Dance comes from Psalm 150. So, Psalm 150 is our chapter today, and I'll be using it to end our series on the Psalms. If you've been with us through the summer, you have already heard nine sermons on the Psalms, those heart-to-heart -heart moments where the author of the Psalm pours themselves out to God. We have had praise Psalms, we've had salvation Psalms, we've had Psalms of lament, Psalms of ascent, and Psalms of thanksgiving and trust. Today, we have the final chapter of Psalms for our final sermon in this series. And it serves as a, as, a, as a doxology, a form of praise to end a service, or in this case, a form of praise to end a book of the Bible. My previous sermons, I, I preached two earlier times in our series, they addressed different topics. They addressed imprecatory Psalms, which is a, a cursing Psalm. And there was also a Psalm of Ascent, which was about a journey, going somewhere. Now I have Psalm 150, a psalm that feels very different from my style and how I might skew a little dark and stormy at times. Now, when I think about the five senses of a biblical story, a biblical scene, rarely is my response to, you know, de-escalate. Um, but I also, uh, I'm not the most super upbeat or, or super smiley about many of these things. But, but these Psalms exist. Upbeat, smiley psalms exist. And Psalm 50 is one of those peppy psalms. We have to consider it. Because as we consider all of the psalms as a single book, these peppy psalms, these praise psalms, these thanksgiving psalms, they also connect with the imprecatory psalms and the psalms of lamentations. So I will read the psalm today. Please follow along with me. We're in Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150. Psalm 150, 
It's it's an incredibly direct psalm. It feels demanding and commanding. In six verses, it says 13 times to what? Praise the Lord. The repetition is there. This repetition is artwork. It is to remind us of those things. It's it's clear that from the beginning of this psalm to the end of this psalm that the praise of God is the focus. And as a whole, it begins and ends with the phrase, praise the Lord. This is our introduction and our closing. I want to consider what happens between these two pieces. Let's go to the text. We're going to be in verse 1. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. I like this one. I feel like God is pushing an outdoorsy agenda, which I I support. I like to go hiking. I'll go hiking on Monday. It pushes us to get outside. Praise him in his mighty heavens, in his magnificent creation We praise him. And this language, specifically as we look at this psalm, where else does this language exist about the heavens? It goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1.14, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. Let there be lights in the heavens. Worship not the separation of light and dark, but the one who with a mighty hand created the sanctuary, the heavens we have been given. Verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. There is an unpacked answer to the question, why do we praise in these verses? Verse 2, it says, for acts of power and for surpassing greatness. Really two very broad strokes. But as just mentioned, the language in Scripture for the heavens is used in Psalms and Genesis. I love that the author went all the way back to creation for a reference to the heavens. This was the expanse that was created. I I wager this reference to greatness and power is connected to the very beginning of time when before there was anything, there was God. Acts of power surpassing greatness. And you could also speculate something else. We have 149 Nine psalms preceding 150. Maybe there's enough info in Psalm 1 through 149 on the acts of power and surpassing greatness of God. Maybe there's enough testimony there as well. Verses 3 to 5. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. The psalms seem to get louder and louder from verses 3 to 5. Did you see any trumpets on our stage this morning? It's rare we have a horn section. It's really loud. But this is the first thing. Praise him with the sounding of a trumpet. And because the trumpet wasn't big enough, it wasn't loud enough, a harp and lyre are added. And a lyre is a harp as well. It's a U-shaped, lap-held harp. It's easier to handle. Now, these three instruments, they're not enough either. So a tambourine is added. And then some movement, some dancing. We have four instruments making noise. We've got people spinning around the room, and it still isn't enough. 
strings and pipes are added. Then more, two references to symbols, the clang and clap of symbols, along with the continued sustained clatter of symbols. The service planning team, we get together to talk about these times. Uh, we get feedback from others in this room about what's heard in different parts of the sanctuary. Some instruments are louder than others, depending on where you're seated. Symbols. Symbols are heard everywhere. And they're really loud right here. And I don't think we have ever heard, you know what? We need more symbols. <laughs> Cowbell, yes. Symbols, no. We could always use a little more cowbell. Now, we have a response card here in the bulletin. It's a great way to share with the staff how, you can be, how we can be praying for you. Please consider using it. But let me warn you, if I get a card this week that says, I've got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell, you better put your name and number because I'm going to call you. Verse 3 through 5 is, is incredibly noisy. It's active. It's an incredible mode of worship. And it's just not my style. I might be noisy, but there are times where I stick my hands in my pockets. I mean, when we were encouraged to clap this morning during the music, I kind of did. I looked left, looked right, and I was like, I've got to clap my hands. I'm banging my hands together. But mostly I faked it. Now I'm feeling kind of guilty that I didn't start clapping when I was invited to. I've created, I've created you know, reasons. Nick, why aren't you clapping? And I've had excuses. I said, you know, I can't keep rhythm, but I can. The excuse really is I, I obsess over if I clap on one and three with others to be part of the group, or two and four like a normal person. <laughs> and then I end up clapping on one, two, three, and four to be a uniting in individual. But at this point, two seconds into it, I've overthought it, and I start making memes in my head. Friends don't let friends clap on one and three. <laughs> and if I'm making memes in my head, am I praising? Man, yeah, that's the life. That's the internal that happens in my head. In the psalm here, we have a lot of noise. We have a lot happening, and this is the grand crescendo of the psalms where the instruments of the time were listed here, where each instrument added a layer of worship, where the activity and movement was instructed to be used for the praise of God. We're going to add another layer. This is verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you have breath in your lungs this morning? Can you breathe? Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord. We have the breath. Let's use it to worship. And, and it's everything that has breath. Every frog croaking, every snake hissing, every fish glub glubbing, it's praising the Lord. And for this space, though, I want to I bring it back just a notch. What about everyone, every person that has breath? Praise the Lord. And it's good. There are ways to worship in this space. There are ways to praise the Lord. We praise the Lord with our listening. We praise the Lord with our coloring. We praise the Lord with our note-taking. We praise the Lord with our tithing. 
Praise the Lord with your foot tapping, your clapping, your head bobbing, your hand raising, your eye closing, your mouth opening, and maybe even your wishes for more cowbell. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord with your singing and your movement. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 150 is our final psalm in this series. And it's key that the psalm goes back to creation to the very beginning because that might be the best way for me to have a perspective on what is appropriate. It's as if the psalmist is saying, Hallelujah, no matter what, no matter why, from the beginning of time to the end of time. There are times where Psalm 150 is really hard. I actually think Psalm 150, I dodge these sorts of psalms because it can feel hollow. That even knowing how big or amazing God is, even going back to the time of creation, what I'm facing right now, it can feel unbearable. You know, Psalm 150, it's real easy on Easter morning. Jesus is risen. The stage has flowers. There's a choir and you're going out for lunch after the service. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's Psalm 150 on Easter morning. But what about the rest of the year? You have a child that has legal issues. You have a spouse that you're pretty sure is having an affair. You're just not sure if it's with their job or with another person, and you're not sure what's worse. You're grateful to be employed, but your boss is incompetent. Your parents have died, both of them, within a month. Your children hate church. You hope so deeply for children, and you have for years, but you don't have them. Your business, your dream, you started it in February. It's a flop. And it's 2020. Your kindergartner, who didn't go to pre-K, who can't read yet, is doing virtual school. Click the button that says start. Start is a word. You have to read it. What do we do? I propose we go to Psalm 151. Don't turn there. Please don't turn there. I am not talking about the Apocrypha. I am not talking about religious extra-canonical writings. I'm talking about the idea that we have model after model after model, 150 of them, if you will, 150 samples of life. And that's what the Psalms are as a complete book. It's a full view of what we might experience. It's full of raw emotion. It's full of joy, singing, dancing, grief, lament, fear, and rage. What if we took these models and made one for ourselves? You write your own. One that expresses what you are experiencing and how it's impacting you. You know, it's easier to write in difficulty than it is when things are easy. 
It is difficulty that addresses our personal ideas of what is justice, what is compassion, what is love, and it forces us to decide how we feel about something. Let me define a couple things here. If I'm asking you to write your own psalm, I want you to define what a psalm could be. A psalm could be a song. You could write a song. If you're musical. I'm not. I would not write a song. A, song, a psalm could be poetry. And at times I think, I'm not a poet. I do like when things rhyme, though. Maybe that'll come up. A psalm could be a prayer where based on this season and this time, you have decided to pen your prayer down, to put your ache, to put your hurt, to put your joy. And a psalm could also be a journal entry. All of these, whatever they are, they have to be intentional. This intentionality is one that will focus your core, what you're doing, on what you're feeling. It's important. If you are angry or hurt, let it flow. Language and all. Don't clean it up. This is you being honest. And these, these psalms, these songs, these prayers, they're, they're not for everybody. Maybe someday you give a psalm testimony. You're able to read it and share it. But this is for you, between you and God. You know, knowing that whatever word bomb you write down or sing, if that's the clearest way for you to express yourself, I would say it would be worship. In 2015, I got some interesting feedback from a sermon. Careful, people. We save our feedback. I was speaking in a series about Job, and I talked about the concept of lamenting. Some people, and this is fine, it was a great conversation, some people had a problem with me saying that Job worshipped the entire book of Job. I went on to say he laments beautifully. The Psalms are mostly lament. And lamenting is worship. See, lamenting is honest faith. Lamenting groans for restoration with God. God can handle what you have to say. It might get hot, but God can handle the heat. Hey, repeat after me. God can handle the heat. All right, look around you. Tell two people within shouting distance, God can handle the heat. There's some music that already exists as an example of this. Not all music, but some for sure. Uh, listen to this. These are words like obsession, fanatical, spectacle, justification for behavior. Um, but I want you to listen for, for what's the hope in? Where's the help? Let's see if I can do this. There's a reason I'm not on the worship team. All right, here goes. Call it obsession. Call it fanatical, I am not trying to make this a spectacle. I have this craving that justifies behaving, I really need some of that in my good. 
coffee, strong coffee. Mm -hmm. I need to have some. Coffee, strong coffee. Is that a psalm? Some of you think it better be. There's no hope for restoration with God. Reunion with coffee, yes. I mean, we mostly might complain about bad coffee or good coffee. Coffee is part of hospitality in all sorts of places, but there's some idolization of it. I like coffee, I don't pray about coffee. Check yourself. Some of you all probably did this morning on the way to church. Lord, if LEFC has coffee this morning, might you bless them mightily. Just as coffee blesses me, may it bless them. I mean, coffee, we love, we love our coffee, but, but there is no restoration there. Not really. There, we think that coffee will be our savior in that moment. How about this one? Different song. a bit like Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Listen to the rest of the lyrics. I've selected just some of them, not all of them. Broken bottles under children's feet, bodies strewn across the dead end street, and the battle's just begun. There's many lost, but tell me who has won. The trench is dug within our hearts, and mothers, children, brothers, sisters torn apart. Wipe the tears from your eyes. Wipe your tears away. And it's true we are immune when fact is fiction and TV reality. And today the millions cry. We eat and drink while tomorrow they die. The real battle just begun to claim the victory. Jesus won. That's a psalm, if I've ever heard one. It feels like it even matches to this day as we see what's happening in our society and our culture all across the United States and all the way around the world. The song's decades old. That's a psalm where restoration is found in Jesus. The key difference between the coffee song and U2's Sunday, Bloody Sunday, is where the hope lays. And that's in Jesus. 
So why should we do this? Why should we write this out? Why should we write out a psalm? Because it recognizes the fullness of the psalms, and it also encourages the writer to a more complete presence and existence here on earth. I think it also gives God access to all our thoughts, meaning we are being a more full expression of who we are and how we feel. We aren't burying the hard stuff to hide it from God. Psalm 150, without Psalm 1 through 149, to me feels incomplete. So I want to challenge you to put words to paper. Write with honesty and bluntness. The psalmists have taught us that pain and struggle can be freely expressed to God. Allow your feelings and emotions to show through. Remember, faith is more than knowledge and facts. As you write, use metaphors, use similes. Think about what you're experiencing. Write it down. Reflect on it. While it's still hot, come back to it in a lifetime. We need to sort through what we're experiencing. And then we have to remember, we have to remember that the Messiah has come, that we have Jesus. We may not understand what path we're on, what anger or rage we're experiencing, but there is victory in Jesus. And we get to take a step into Psalm 150. I got this problem in my life. Um, I just said it out loud, so I may have to pay for it later. But I got this problem. Have you ever seen these signs in stores or outside that say stuff like staff only, do not enter, or road closed? They're just suggestions to me. In my head, I make very clear rules, black and white rules. To a degree, I write policy here for mobilization and missions about what is appropriate, what's not appropriate. And really, I operate right up to that line. But this area of my life, I just take a big old step right over it. Not too long ago, I found myself at the door of the potting shed at Longwood Gardens. The sign is clear, so clear. Service area. Employees only. I stood at the door of the potting shed. It was open, mind you. My big puffy yellow coat, and I just peeked in. What could I learn? What could I see? Soon enough, I made friends with the employees. I asked about their jobs, what their work, what they were working on today, what the vision was for 18 months from now. And then I was invited (laughs) in to the service area, employees only. My wife took a picture, thinking she needed a record, because this is what I do. And I say, nah, I follow the rules. On Father's Day this year, I went camping. There was a lot of construction where we were camping. Um, Some trails were cut off, other trails had changed. At one point, I was trying to navigate my way through an area, and I came upon a do not enter sign. In my head, I thought, nah, this isn't for me, it's for the kids. They're not talking to me. I was successful in finding a path out. I learned later that a friend took a picture of me walking right next to and behind the do not enter sign. The friend said, and this is not my wife, the friend said it was something they had to take a picture of because of how much it was an image of who I am. 
I'm not sure where I started to fragment my life, where I decided I could set policy and rules and yet break the rules that others have put before me. The images I've shown are a little bit humorous, a bit lighter in tone than other possibilities, but there still is fragmentation. As I think about the future, I don't want people to look back on my life, a life that so deeply desires the presence of God and see that I only gave God access to some areas of my life. God's presence is not an opportunity to put God here and there. Really, inviting God's presence is, is about a complete life, not about fragmenting your life and choosing the places God is allowed to have input. When this is the approach to God in my life, in your life, we've become negligent to the path we've been called to. And this fragmentation is also not what the book of Psalms gives us. The Psalms are full life, and this is what we have received through Christ. And God wants our full life, access to all that we are. But there's a problem. We have put up signs in our lives that there's only restricted access. Employees only. No entrance. Road closed. And these signs delay our ability into allowing God full access. It's true for my life. And it's hard to hear when someone tells me my life is fragmented. I've heard it in the last couple weeks. But it's true. And then we have Duke Ellington. He was incredibly blessed with an uncanny ability for music. Amazing. I speculate, though, that he fragmented his life. We get the gift of sacred concerts. We get the gift of praise God and dance. But a line was drawn in his, line somewhere, in his life somewhere. A do not enter sign was put up. And I, I had to map this out as I read about him. Duke married his high school sweetheart, had a son. Within 10 years, they were no longer together. And Duke became the companion to another woman. This other woman ultimately raised his son. He was this family and moved in with a woman who worked at a club that he had performed in. 20 years later, he meets another woman and decides to have a life with her. But this time, he doesn't leave the previous relationship. He just adds one more family to the mix. Duke Ellington is not my enemy. He's not your enemy either. I'm not trying to drag his name through the mud. But somewhere he decided that God was not allowed access to his sexual and family life. Fragmentation. Incredibly gifted in music and falling apart with his family. We are going to need to write our own psalms this year. If we want to avoid fragmentation, we'll need to write those. You, you know what's going to happen this year. Everybody is going to have a whole lot of their faces we're going to have so much thrown in our faces politically. Some of us on social media will be, will be told that we're going to go to hell because of our opinions. Social media will not be a place for education. It will be a place of fragmentation, building alliances, and not wrestling with the fullness of Scripture and who God is. Yeah, we'll, we'll proof text our way into things. 
But is it the fullness of Scripture? I don't think so. In the writing of our own psalm, we get to express our secrets. We get to express our alliances. And we get to beg God to shed light on those areas that we have said, do not enter. God, through his spirit, through the living word, should stretch you, should challenge you, should mess you up, should comfort you and disrupt you. All at the same time. That is the Psalms. And God gave it all to us. And I challenge you to give all of yourself to God. He wants the good. He wants the bad. He wants the ugly. He wants the parts where you got it all together and the parts where you're a complete mess. Are you willing to give it to him? All of it? Can you praise him in all seasons, in all psalms? And so this is my invitation to you to surrender, to praise, to celebrate that Jesus is for us, that victory is already won. Let him shepherd you. Let him lead you in all areas of your life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they protect me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over and over and over and over. Surely goodness and mercy chases after me, and I will dwell. I will dwell in his presence, and I will dwell in his house forever, 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 forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything, let everyone that has breath praise the Lord.
So three things I would love for you to reflect on in this next week. So we just wrapped up our whole Psalms series. So here it is. Was there a specific sermon in this series that seemed to resonate with you? I would say go back, listen to that sermon again. Can can you figure it out? Can you identify why it resonated with you? Name it. The other thing, when, when are you most alert to God's presence? When are you most alert to God's activity in you, around you, and through you? Do you celebrate those moments? Or do you feel something else? And finally, consider what it would mean for you to write your own psalm. To write down what you are going through and how it's impacting you. Does it end with hope? Does your psalm have any hope? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Go in that peace knowing that God can handle the fullness of who you are and that Jesus is by your side. We start a new series next week. We'll be exploring the gospel of John. Come back then as we start a new series. We'll see you then.